you need to have people in the room that are curious. Mm. You do. Mm-hmm. So I, this is another obstacle that stands in the way of a lot of people making better decisions about the future. And that is that they're not curious. And it's foreign to me because when I was in my graduate program, that's where I learned very quickly that I don't have it all figured out and I never will. And that's a huge strategic advantage because you're constantly learning. Sounds good. But I mean, I can quite honestly say I embody that because I don't know how much I don't know, but I know it's a lot and I know that I'll never know it all. So that means that I am totally free to ask questions. I don't ever have to try and impress you that I, right. Like I'm not going to sit down with somebody who's an expert in NFTs and be like, oh yeah, yeah, totally. I totally understand. No, I'll just bombard you with questions. What about this? How about that? That's what makes a process of foresight, understanding how the future might unfold. That's what makes it really successful is because you are you're not defending a narrative. You're not defending a position that that will never happen or this always happens. You know, that's this kind of hold tight to what you think you know because you don't want anybody to think that you're an idiot. We want to quickly highlight a company that you may not know about but should. For this episode, that is Millennium Counseling Center in Chicago, Illinois. Their mission is to help people find a way out of the shame and pain often caused by addiction, mental illness, and trauma. Millennium Counseling Center believes that with hard work and dedication, people can reclaim the hope that has been stripped away. When you spend even a moment talking with anyone on the team at Millennium, you see how important you are to them. Learn more about Millennium at millenniumhope.com. Also, if you're in and around the world of sports, they have a fast-growing sports and performance wellness division. And be sure to subscribe to their Millennium Counseling Center podcast on your favorite podcast app. We work with the team at Millennium, and that's because we believe in them and know the work they do has real impact. MillenniumHope.com. Real quick, before we get started, CASCM is our content production company. Why content? It's simple. Content brings people together. I've seen it play out over and over, and I want to help others explore and discover this for themselves. The experience is totally worth it. Learn more at CASCM.com. We focus on podcasts and writing, one piece of content at a time. It all starts with conversations just like this one. I don't want to contribute to this like permanent renter class that's Ooh, taking place. It's a man. real problem. It is a real right problem. Now. Yeah, my wife reached out to the mayor and the police called her. Are you shitting me? That's what I heard. They wanted to talk. Oh, let's record this. <laughs> Are we recording now? <laughs> no, they just, it wasn't like the police called to like arrest. It no, was no, no, like they wanted to have a conversation. Hit record and let's that's discuss it. We this. are recording. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. right. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. On April the 7th. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, okay, what's going on here? Well, no, we had talked about it, like panhandlers, trash. Yeah. Crazy driving. I'm sorry, did you just say that panhandlers are trash? Panhandlers, comma, trash, got it, comma, traffic, Question comma. Mark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exclamation point. Yeah, yeah. Semicolon. Okay, but we were talking about this permanent <laughs> renter class. That was a good semicolon, by the way. Well, we'll come back to that. Okay. Yeah. The permanent renter class. And I didn't know you were already recording. But then you said your wife called about that. No, I don't know if she called about that. She called about what's permanent renter class. Let's back up. Oh, I'm just talking about how like BlackRock, Blackstone, how they've been buying up single family housing units. Okay. Gosh, I think I saw the statistic. It was like... Instant, like uh, investors. No, well, you know, the all cash offer. This is why we saw a stupid growth in, in housing prices. Right. Okay. We've talked about this. Yep. I mean, the massive, massive jump. Yep. Well, a big part of that is because you've got investment groups coming in and, uh, and offering above asking and they're giving all cash offers. Right. 
But what it's doing is it's creating yeah, like a, a permanent renter class. <laughs> I was talking about something totally different. Like, yeah, I figured that because I was like, why would the police? Because you said, oh, my wife called the mayor and then the police called her. And I was yeah, like, whoa, yeah, about whoa. the permanent. It's like, damn, this thing goes deeper than I thought. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I thought you were thinking or saying. You weren't listening. And let me explain something about being a good podcast host. No, because we weren't podcasting yet. It's an action podcast. Dean, would that work? Would that like, what's Was that? there a question mark after that? No, I'm like wondering. Yeah, it's like a dot, that dot, dot. A lot with you. you think you just it's like a thinking, This is the thinking person's podcast. I've been really lonely. <laughs> <laughs> this is random. You made me think of in the last episode. You said bubbles. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there for you. Yeah, no, I thought it was good. Like you could have a whole podcast about the first person starts and they just throw out a word, and then it's just like that's the direction you go with it. You want to give it a shot? No, I mean I thought of bubbles, but it's not like the word you said it, but it brought me back to a place where I'm sitting on my driveway. And I'm, we're blowing bubbles for my kids. And kids love bubbles. They That's really the magic do. of uh, being a futurist. Yeah. I can throw out one word and you already think I have mystical powers and then it brings certain it's images to mind. Kind and, of like going backwards though because it makes you place you no, back no. into a time. So it's more, I would say that's more psychology. No, no, no. Yeah, Check yeah. it out. So I can't speak on behalf of all futurists, but for me, something that I really mm. advocate for is this yeah. idea of remembering the future. So you stand in the future okay. and then you reflect back. Okay. So is that like the thing where like write your obituary obituary or what's the thing that kind someone, of. what do they say? At yeah. Your funeral, whatever. What's yeah, that called? Yeah. No, what's the word? Yeah. It's your obituary. No, when someone says it out loud, God, people think this is just turn off the no, podcast. No, dude, this is great. This is so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every time we've gotten on and started recording, neither is, of us can remember something. No, what is it? The like, eulogy. Eulogy. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to let you start typing halfway there and then I just no, dropped my that. Quirtle was up. So I got confused. I got what? thrown. Quirtle. It's like Wordle. But Quirtle, it's, it's like four times the as poor hard. man's a Wordle. No, it's actually like the smart man. No, <laughs> smart person's Wordle. No, yeah. there's Octurtle now. My wife's doing it. It's like there's eight words. Yeah, my wife plays Wordle. Go play Octurtle. Yeah. They play all of them. I'm getting into candy People, they crush. wake up and they basically go through all their things and it's noon and they have lunch and then what have you I'm done I'm telling today? you, man. I played this all This is my how news. you get plugged into the Matrix. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's slowly but surely. It's not like they just snatch you yeah. up throw you in a van and then hook you up to a machine. It's just like a small little oh, yeah. thing here and there. Uh, one little plug at a time. <laughs> yeah. Click, click. Well, and then soon times. you're like, I'm going to take a nap in this big old tub of slime. And then it's done. Yeah. And you were fully immersed. Hmm. We're already there. It was a New York Times started. Well, they didn't start it, but they bought it. Yeah. And now people are like, you do realize that they're tracking you now. So they got you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of It's kind of like Friday Night Funkin'. Okay. Are your kids not into that? Um, they're not. You are so lucky. I thought that was like some high tech something. No, no. It might be. So you're talking about the future. Yeah. And yeah reflecting back. Future. So is that like write your eulogy? Mm, no. Okay. So we'll track on this for a little bit. I know we just have fun on this podcast. But so one of the things that I do, and it's very much like that, is this idea of standing in the future. And the reason why we do that is not just because it's a fun little exercise. So let me back up here a little bit. As you and I have talked about, one of the core ideas around my work is that the future is useless if you can't leverage it now. And what I mean by that is that just thinking about the future or projecting where artificial intelligence will go or making predictions, that has very little value in the present day. It's good for entertainment, but if you can't utilize that information to make better decisions now, mm -hmm. well, then it's useless. So when I talk about leveraging the future, the idea is that. You have to go there first. Now, I know this sounds crazy, right? We make decisions based on our past experience and our present interpretation of what those experiences mean and then how we 
make sense of what's going on around us now. And then trying to make plans for the future, which is most plans, everything's future-oriented. Essentially, what we're doing is we're drawing from experience of the past and our limited understanding of what it is today. And then we're just throwing it out into this place called the future and hoping that we hit the target. Okay. So the idea of leveraging the future is that you put yourself into a future 10 years out. doesn't mean you have to know exactly what's going on, depending on how deep you want to get with this. But the real focus of this is that you are removing yourself from all the distractions in the external unknowns. And let me clarify, this is really for individuals. This is like if somebody's trying to better understand who they ultimately want to be 10 years from now, this is what this exercise helps them to do. So yeah, so I should probably clarify that. This isn't the same as developing multiple possible futures and then looking for opportunities for innovation. What if it's like a business? Yeah, a business can do the same too, right? I mean, there's other things that a business would need to take into account. Well, I just talked to someone on a podcast and hasn't released yet. Maybe it'll have just released. So that'd oh, be kind of cool. We can link back to it. Wow, look oh, at look that. look at you, man. All Web Catching 2 technology. and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's Web 2. That's not very yeah, tech Yeah, I'm anymore. totally focused but on Web 3. He's yeah, in totally. alternative investments. And when he talked about it, I heard him on a podcast before he came on ours. And he talked about 2030, not tomorrow, not 2022, 2023. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of looking at ahead, knowing that there's these things like this pandemic's going to happen. Need not know that's going to happen, but there's going to be these external things that are going to take place that he can't control. He didn't know when he started casting this vision or looking in the future that crypto was, he knew crypto was there. He didn't know crypto was going to be what it's become. He doesn't know what cultural assets people are going to be fond of and NFTs that people are going to get into. And so how is that going to change it? But he's like, he's got this vision to where like every, I don't know if it's exactly this, let's, let's just say, you want every advisor has the ability to access his platform to buy alternative investments by the year 2030. Mm-hmm. It's not like that's the aim maybe, but it's more like that's going to be a need out there because that's what I see happening in the year 2030. Yeah, That might change. And he says, well, if I come to you in 2025 and say the newer, you know, because there's outside factors he's not considering. Is well, that for sure. like along the path of what you're talking about? Okay, so since we, we kind of stumbled into this here, I'll let me back up just a little bit. Okay. So the whole thing about standing in the future conceptually is an idea, something that we have to do. If I'm working with a business or I'm working with leaders in an organization, because it's usually about what's this problem we're trying to solve or what are we concerned about today that we're just unsure of how it's going to play out over the next five or 10 years, right? You know, so whether it's a big driver like artificial intelligence or cryptocurrency, climate change, whatever that might be. And then there's a whole process we've run through to we don't have enough time to, well, I guess we could have time to go on this, but I don't want to go through all that stuff. Maybe that's for another show. But essentially what we do is we go through a process to extrapolate potential implications and possible impacts that existing drivers that we see today might have on several facets of society, right? So we look at, we start asking better questions, questions like, say we talk about NFTs or cryptocurrency. Well, let's just say blockchain in general. Yep. You know, start looking at how blockchain might impact things that are outside of the industry that it dwells in right now. A blockchain isn't an industry unto itself. I understand that. But most folks would just look at that in the technology space or now start looking at it more in the financial space because of cryptocurrency. And they're starting to look at it in the asset space of, okay, well, you know, NFTs are these things that people can buy. What we would want to look at is that, of course, but start asking questions like, how's the blockchain going to fundamentally change the way that we relate to each other as a community? So we start asking questions that are socially oriented or how is the blockchain going to impact our natural resources? 
questions that don't seem like logical first questions so that like would come up. Bigger questions, because I'm thinking, how is it going to impact, you know, if you're looking at this in 1990, let's say, and there's or what some year mm-hmm. in the past, like, well, how are we going to get our access to our money? Of course. Sure. Right. So that was a big question that they could have been asking to say, well, ATM started to come out, right? And you can yeah. go get your money that way, but you had to physically go somewhere. Yeah. You still have credit cards, but there's a lot of different places like, you wouldn't even have to go to a bank. Mm-hmm. Like, who wants to go to a bank? Like, if you have to go to a bank, like, you're probably getting some notary to do something yeah. for you or fill out some paperwork for your mortgage. But, like, were those the types of questions that people could have been asking? Some people did. You can either anticipate where things may go or you happen to be in the right place at the right time and have the right system set up. But the reason we ask these questions is not just so we can answer that question. What we're trying to do is we're trying to create a three-dimensional picture of what the future could look like. So if I understand how crypto or the blockchain, if I start extrapolating potential implications of how the blockchain is going to not only affect the economy, but how it may affect governance, right? How we make, you know, elect politicians. And I'm not, you know, I mean, like, how does the technology itself fundamentally change the way we do things? Or what does that look like? We just start digging deeper. How's it going to affect the way we relate to the family unit? All those kinds of questions. It's not so we can just have answers to all these novel questions. It's because all of those questions have to be at least considered in order to get a plausible picture of what the future could look like. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because again, so this goes back to the idea that most of our decisions are made from looking at past experiences. So we have a historical context and that's the interpretation of that in the present day. So we have a present context, but then we're trying to use all that to make future decisions which is any decision going forward, but we don't have a context. So what I do with folks is I help them create a context, and not just one, but several. And so we really start to, we look at the big picture, but then we zoom into the things that are most important to them, because that's where you start to see there's some potential opportunities for us. There's some real obstacles that are going to be coming down the road if this type of future starts to unfold. So creating, say, a series of four doesn't mean that you're trying to figure out which one's going to happen. The reality is, is that it's going to probably be a mix of all four of them. But what it does do is it gives you real insight into what the possibilities are and some signals to watch out for that a certain, say, either negative or positive type of future may be emerging where you're already knowing how to make sense of that. So it's like if you're coming out of college, let's say, and you're trying to figure out like what you want to do and you start thinking about, have a conversation with someone like yourself or with yourself, right? Mm-hmm. That you could see the opportunities that might exist in, say, if you're talking about blockchain and you're intrigued by whatever is in that realm right yeah. there, right? And you might think of security and you might be a coder and mm-hmm. you might see the opportunity that you could put something together that helps people protect their assets on the blockchain because they talk about keys. Well, how do we back up the keys? And where's the, someone's out there is going to help create that thing. No different than someone created the firewall for your computer right. 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. To think like that's a need that we're going to have because, right? I mean, am I getting to something? Yeah, anticipating where things... Well, it's also like, how do we make that real? How do, all that stuff you're saying, it sounds good. Well, how do I make it real? How does that apply to an individual? And maybe there's better examples because... Yeah, the individual is a little bit different. Or it could be a company, right? It could be a business Yeah, so too. what I was just talking to you about right there is really the way that I would approach this with a company or yeah. with a team of people inside of an organization. Yeah. Here's the future concern we have. Well, it's a direction you're going to go with a a large company that maybe they already work in IT security, let's say. Yeah. And they're like, 
things are changing pretty fast. Like Correct. what do we do? And what are we going to look like in 2035 or 2050 or whatever that right. is? Right, yeah. absolutely. And in order to answer that question, you have, to have, you have to have a framework, a contextual framework to work within. Because how can you make decisions for the future if you have no idea what that future could look like? Most people may project just in their industry in this narrow lane and say, well, hey, in the financial services, the future in the financial services industry is going to probably be this. I mean, obviously it may not be, but you can look at certain patterns, but there's a lot of assumptions that are being thrown in there too, such as certain variables that maybe won't change, right? Well, people are always going to need an insurance broker. People are always going to need a financial advisor. And then, of course, your tech people are like, no, AI can take care of all that. That's been going on for 10 years, Oh yeah, that debate and discussion. And yet we haven't seen a complete and total takeover yet of AI in that space. It's you know a little bit more of a hybrid. So you can project or make assumptions about what the future may look like in the next five to 10 years in a certain industry. But if you want to get a much more fuller picture, you have to take into consideration the things that are on the periphery, right? So I could be totally focused on my industry, but if I'm not considering how major drivers of change, we're talking about you know the blockchain, how that can impact other facets of society, then I'm getting a very small sliver based on the idea that everything else won't be affected by that major driver. Yeah. Well, in the insurance business, if you look at it, they're contracts, right? Mm-hmm. You're buying a contract that someone's going to pay out money to the beneficiaries upon death. Right. Okay. So in order to get it, you have to call the insurance company and deal with an 800 number and go through all this process. It's beyond antiquated. Sometimes you're waiting weeks when people need the money like immediately. Mm -hmm. This is like a thing to say, hey, wait, I gave you this money for 30 years or however many years, five years, what doesn't matter. Give me my money. Mm -hmm. Like, and I get it. Like there could be reasons that they don't owe you the money. Sure. Right. Foul play, suicide and first couple of years, who knows? (laughs) But like, then they have to prove it. It's like, so if someone in the insurance industry never considered that these policies could and probably should at some point live on the blockchain or something along those lines that makes it immediate. Like Mm -hmm. you know who the owner is, you know the rules and the smart contract says exactly how this thing plays out and all the details of what you need to know about that individual's death is also there to say, here's the specific situations. We don't have to go get a police report. We don't have to get the autopsy. We don't have to do all these things. It's all right there. So some people are going to be like, they're not even or weren't considering it. Maybe they are now. There's yeah. definitely some people that have to be considering this. I know we are. I don't know what we can do about it. But like, right, is that, again... Good for you, get a futurist in the room. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. But is you. that, that's an example of something that's at home that we think about on a daily basis that would be using, because you could stay in your lane in the insurance industry and complain or talk or do or sell or whatever it is that you do, mm-hmm. but you might be missing the boat because all this stuff over here was happening and you never once considered right. that everything could be living on the blockchain. Sure. That's a good way to look at it. Is that you're taking, if so, if we're looking at blockchain technology, and again, I'm not an expert in blockchain. I get it. We're just using that as an we're, example. Absolutely. Sure. This is where I'd want an expert you in blockchain. You could talk about World War III and like foreign relations and how that could disrupt it. And all of a sudden there's a nuclear bomb in here that drops and kills all these people. Insurance industry is obviously disrupted at that point. But anyway, yeah, carry that's on. the last thing anybody's thinking about, you know. No, right. But like things could happen to say like, well, maybe there was something brewing and it came over here. But they have to, th- like in the commercial or personal liability world, mm-hmm. if a hurricane comes in and wipes out, not wipes out a city, but really takes, it impacts, yeah. it impacts businesses. I mean, anyway, for negative and positive. Yeah, of right? course. Well, here's another way to think about it too. So there's a whole process we can run through, not on this show, but there's a whole process for uh, developing three-dimensional pictures of the future. But just in a more basic, simple way of thinking about all this, if you think about blockchain and you're asking the question, 
well, could everything be on the blockchain? And you're focusing on the impact that this might have on the insurance industry. One of the other things that's really important in this process too, again, I, if I'm working with people that are in the insurance industry, then it's already assumed they have a really strong understanding of how that insurance industry works. The big question that, that we always have to ask first though is, what is it about today's context that makes your product, your service, your role relevant? That's the big question we have to ask, right? So we can talk about, again, these are where like the layers of assumptions go deep. So if we're just looking at the impact that blockchain might have on the insurance industry in 10 years, if we haven't addressed the question about what makes you relevant today, well, then you're going to unwittingly project your value out 10 years alongside a blockchain's potential impact. But you have to get really clear right now to say, why does somebody need to go to me to get this insurance policy? And I dealt with this back when I was in the insurance business. And this was back 2010 when I got out. I was already asking these questions because you saw where things were potentially going. What value do I bring in the grand scheme of things that makes me relevant right now? Because you have to ask yourself that when you're looking out into the future. And the only way you can ask yourself that question, and this again is why we first start with not what are you going to look like in 30 years or in 10 years, but we want to say, what is the future as a whole going to potentially look like? We want to create a three-dimensional picture. Because then we can start asking the questions that really matter that answer the bigger question of what would make you relevant. And that is, how do the people that you serve, how are they doing in that three-dimensional picture? Because if you don't answer that question first and you're just focusing on what you're going to do, this is what most people do, you're just running an assumption that nothing about your value is going to change. Well, because your path starts at a bad spot, right? If you're looking to... Because you've created, it sounds like, your own narrative is oh, the starting for sure. block yeah. for this journey you're going on, which is just like, well, that's... And the narrative is that you're essential. You're correct. Or whatever that, or you're maybe you're not essential. Like maybe someone's on the opposite end and they can't get, I don't know, but yeah, that story could... Yeah, yeah. But, but that story, <laughs> just whatever reason, that whatever your belief is, oh, that'll never happen. Mm-hmm. Or that will definitely happen. You've oh, already those created... Favorite, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's extreme, of course, but there's also, and you've done this before, like, oh no, you're just telling yourself that same story. And like, it's good to have that person yeah. in the room without doubt that is able not like to constantly call you out, but to like, I don't agree with that. Or I have another take on that. Or yeah, no, I think you're actually just telling yourself that story. Did you catch yourself doing that? Like, oh wow, I never saw that. So what you're really talking about is for this to be successful, you need to have people in the room that are curious. Mm. You do. Mm -hmm. So this is another obstacle that stands in the way of a lot of people making better decisions about the future. And that is that they're not curious. And it's foreign to me because when I was in my graduate program, that's where I learned very quickly that I don't have it all figured out and I never will. And that's a huge strategic advantage because you're constantly learning. Sounds good, but I mean, I can quite honestly say I embody that because I don't know how much I don't know, but I know it's a lot and I know that I'll never know it all. So that means that I am totally free to ask questions. I don't ever have to try and impress you that I... Right. Like, I'm not going to sit down with somebody who's an expert in NFTs and be like, oh yeah, yeah, totally. I totally understand. No, I'll just yeah, keep asking you with questions. Right. What about this? How about that? That's what makes a process of foresight, understanding how the future might unfold. That's what makes it really successful is because you are... You're not defending a narrative. You're not defending a position that that will never happen or this always happens. You know, that's this kind of hold tight to what you think you know because you don't want anybody to think that you're an idiot. Yeah, I've enjoyed like use this how you want to use it, but like having someone like you, there's only one. This is good, right? <laughs> Keep going, slow down a little bit and just <laughs> right, like be thoughtful with your yeah, words. Yeah. yeah, 
No, it's a lot of pressure. Maybe we'll just move on. We'll skip to the next step. No, to have like when Shane, mm-hmm. business partner, are talking and having a conversation and we can be in our own bubble. Right. Bubbles. There we go. See? <laughs> Full circle. And we could get each other going down the same path. And mm-hmm. it's almost like, where are we going with that? Well, you've sat in when we've had you sit in with us before. And you could call it out and be like, you're doing it again. Like, open it up and be curious. Why are you saying this, Eric or Shane or whatever? And then like, it allows the conversation to open up to a different direction as opposed to just, we're both just going down that yellow brick road together. And I don't know. Like, yeah. I think it's useful to have someone. It's just, it's hard to find those people because you have to trust them. I am you have to like, <laughs> <laughs> But it could be the people in your company. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of times there's the yes people in your company. Yeah. And we've seen that like employees or people that you work with very closely. Like, oh, it's a great, everything's a great idea. It can't mm-hmm. all be a great idea. Right? Right. So it's yeah. good to have that. I'll use the word consultative because that goes in a lot of different directions. Like, and you even deal with it. Futurist. What's a futurist? Yeah. That seems hokey. Right? A lot of it is, yeah. I'm a consultant, okay? Oh, okay. I'm a business coach. Like these are things that, and I'm not lumping all of you in together, but no, like, go to fine. your thing. Like you've heard it. Like it's no different. Like the beginning is like, I'm selling life insurance, right? Like how we do it doesn't matter. Like yeah. doing third-party distribution, work with these, nobody cares. What are you in? You're in life insurance. Okay, I can now put you along the same lines as a used car dealer. Congratulations, right? And I get that. Yeah. So every industry is going to have that story that's going to, oh, I've dealt with someone like, I've heard a futurist before. That's, mm, I don't know. So that kind of moves us into the waters of branding. You know, here's what I mean. Not every life insurance broker is the same. They're not a commodity. Right. But the first impression, when we want to categorize something, you know, the next reaction is usually we're trying to commodify it. And this goes into a lot of the work you do with content and the reason why it's important to put that out there. I talk about this a lot too, and I've had to do this continuously for my own businesses. What is a futurist? Well, I don't get paid on explaining what a futurist is to you, right? People come to me not because, well, we were just, we looked at 10 futurists and you had the best price. That's not how that works. They come to you because they've read something of yours. They've seen a video of yours. They like the way you think. It's who you are. This is the human element. This is the other thing that when it comes to the future is that we put such an emphasis, and I know we've talked about this on this show, I'm sure, is that there's a hyper-focus on technology. You know, but people shape the future, not technology, because technology is just a tool. But we forget that. Yeah. You know, the analogy yeah. I like to use right now, and it's good right now because I don't think it actually is possible, is when's the last time that you saw a hammer get up by its own volition <laughs> and go build a shed out yeah. back? Yeah, that'd be awesome. That could be coming down the road pretty soon, but it's not here yet. So it's a great analogy. Yeah. You have to have human intention behind that technology. It's a tool. So we take the eye off of human potential. We're taking our eyes off of human decision-making and the unpredictability of human beings, which sounds like it's flying against a common idea that, no, we can predict human behavior. You can predict human behavior in mass, but on an individual level, you can't. That's the variable that throws everything off, right? Yeah. Well, I have a friend who's got a robotics company. Well, they're programming the robots to do the job and the people love it, right? Mm-hmm. But they're always there and the robot needs a human yeah. to get it to that next step still. So. so what do you think about the metaverse? Because we really were talking about this, but I, I want to go back now because I think it was good. 
it doesn't matter. Like if I hear the word futurist, I'll never work with a futurist. If that's the story that I have in my head. What did a futurist do to you? Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like you heard someone you trust say, don't work with a futurist. Doesn't matter. Right. right? It's like the same thing as don't buy a house. You should yeah. never buy a house. Totally. Okay. Well then if I run across a real estate agent, chances are we're not going to work together because I'm not willing to change my mind on that. She's peddling a threat. And that's fine though. If someone says that, because it's not for that person. Right. I didn't think about like, okay, what's your answer to that? But I get it because it's the same thing. We always talk like, well, it's not for everybody. Right. Like we've had these conversations like, okay, well, if you don't want like the basic going back to the insurance thing, which it's the boring business, but like it matters. It's if you don't want life insurance, then don't buy life insurance. For sure. What are we kind of here to convince you if like we're helping people produce podcasts? If I talk to someone like, why would you do that? That's stupid. I would never do that. Then don't do it. Yeah. It's totally cool. Like, or they are trying to do it and they don't like the way this podcast sounds, which it sounds incredible, by it the way. It does sound incredible. It's really good. And the closer you get to the microphone, it sounds even better. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if you don't like the way, it, then don't hire those people. Don't work with those people. So it's no difference. And if you're really twisted about the word futurist, then chances are don't work with Jared or anyone like Jared. Yeah. So playing on the same thing, what's, and this is where technology, I'd say if I could really synthesize everything down, why I do not, when I look at possibilities of technology's impact on our future, most people go to this dystopian set in stone type of future, or they go to an over optimistic utopian type of future. Both of these are wrong. And I know that sounds like I'm contradicting my own philosophy. Sorry, you're ruining it for everybody. Well, no, but you know, they're wrong in so much as those are very, very distinct, clean cut, uh, yeah. no matter what the outcome is. Yeah. They're put in a box, each one of they them. They are. Yeah. But what we see is we see technology leading humanity and us really taking a back seat to it in every one of those future possibilities. The dystopian one is where it's either gotten so smart that it's taken over humanity, right? The utopian one is where it's just so smart that it's helping us become more human than we could have ever imagined, right? These are the ideas that are there. And these are great for entertainment, but I'll tell you what, if you really think about a lot of the concerns around technology replacing human beings, synthesizing that down to one word for me is where the dividing line and everything gets really clear where things divide, and that is trust. Do you trust technology? Do you trust your phone? Is this a question? I'm or asking you a I, question. You paused. I didn't know if you paused. It was a very good impact. dramatic pause. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do I trust my phone? Do you trust your phone? Yeah, I do. You I do? Mean, yeah, I'm fine. Do I think that there's things going on? Mm-hmm. Behind it? Absolutely. Yeah, I think yeah. that camera is probably always on in some respects. Yeah, if you leave You're certain apps open. You're a very A lot of people want to know what's going on with you. <laughs> no, but I think, yeah, certain apps are, they're always listening. They're always watching, whatever, like, we use it every day. Do I have mm-hmm. my credit card information in it? Yeah. So could I say I don't trust it? If I didn't trust it, then I shouldn't be doing any of those things. Right. No, what I'm not saying like, do you trust your phone? And if you don't, you should get rid of it. What I'm saying is, is that do you trust your phone more than you trust me? Moment of truth. No. Yeah. And it can give you a specific, like that I trust your phone to do something. That's right. maybe different. Like, right. do you trust your calculator to calculate a math right. problem faster than me? It's very 100%. easy to trust one person as opposed to all the whatever people, robots, things, computers behind the scenes inside that device. There's nothing to trust in the phone. Nothing. And what I mean by that is that trust is very much, it's a human contract. 
I may trust the transactional nature that this phone is going to do what it's supposed to do, but even then it's going to fail on me for sure yeah, because technology is one thing deep. that overpromises so and underdoms. stupid now. Is that what no, that was? No, yeah. no, no, dude. I was kind of fleshing out the question too because yeah, yeah. it is. It's when we really think about what is trust. Mm. Trust is what has allowed human beings to evolve the way that we have out of caves yeah. into a podcast studio, <laughs> right? Yeah. Trust. Because trust between me and you means that we are working together. And we are working together and we're moving forward, right? We have an agreement. We have a trust. Okay, great. I've looked him in the eye. I've shaken his hand. I tell him he doesn't have a knife up his sleeve, which is the whole reason why people <laughs> started shaking hands before. Did you know that? I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, the history of this. And I'm probably going to botch it. So some, That's fine. if some nerd out there who's like, no, I know the actual history of where cool. this came I would from, like I would to read about it. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd be like, great, we yeah, got yeah. a listener. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what would excite me. Yeah. <laughs> but that was the thing is most people are right-handed, unlike me. 10% of the population has been left-handed like myself. Yeah. But for the right hand, that's why you shake with the right hand. And it was a clasping of like forearms. Yeah. Not just your hands, the forearms, because what you're doing is you're showing like, I'm unarmed. There's no weapon that I'm carrying. I'm unarmed. So it was a sign of like, this is safe. We're coming to an agreement. Yeah. 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 See, that's trust. That's when good. you make a pact, that's trust. Yeah. That's trust. You can't have that with technology. Technology does not have the value system, nor will it ever. Well, I can't say will it ever, because again, I'm, you know, I'm contradicting myself, right? But I don't see how technology is a non-human thing can embody trust between two human beings. Can it be the transactional bridge? Sure. I trust that you will email me that document later today, but that's not what I'm talking about. Right. So, you know, just looking down at the human level here, right? We don't have trust with technology. Human beings, we require that to evolve. We require that between each other. Oh. We just got deep. That was deep. We could just sit on that forever. We could sit on it, sit with it. But following that same line there too, when you think about how technology is used to create distrust, think about the last several years and not just the past two years, I'm talking about the last decade. Think about where we are now. Yeah. Polarization. Mm -hmm. Technology is the mechanism that divides. Doesn't mean technology is bad, but it's a tool. Again, it's a hammer that needs human intention. And if human intention is to create division, well, you can use technology to do that. 100%. Yeah. So technology can be a weapon that removes trust, but it is not something that can embody trust or that you can trust the same way I can trust you. I can't look it in the face. The trust episode. You like this that? Is, yeah. Trust. Good. So you distrust or trust your government or entity or not saying we do or don't. I'm just... Because people would say that. I don't trust this. I don't trust that. Well, what is the government? Yeah. It's a bunch of people. Or you can, humans. you can identify the president or you can identify some individual there, but you've never met that person. Correct. Maybe you have. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you get into that. Yeah. Right? Again, it's, you're asking the same question, but it's about humans trusting other humans. Yeah. So if somebody says, well, I don't trust the government. What they're saying is I don't trust the people running the government because the government's not a thing. It's not a person. Yeah. It's a system. Yeah. An athlete. Okay. So like we brought this up in the past. I think since we've last spoken, your football team, the Cleveland Browns, went out and gave a guaranteed contract to Deshaun Watson. Like, yeah. wow. Yeah. Baker Mayfield's still there. Maybe he'll leave. I hope he comes to Carolina. Oh, interesting. I'm a Baker Mayfield yeah. fan, man. I like him. He's a that. fighter. I yeah. like that oh, guy. Man, he might hear this and he might like come hang out with you. I would love to hang and out. And you guys him. can shake hands and unarmed and everything's good. But <laughs> going back to the trust thing, okay, he comes out 
He's got civil lawsuits pending right yeah. now. Deshaun Watson. Can that be a trust thing? Like, I trust or I don't trust? Or that's more of like, I believe or I don't believe. Well, unpack it a little bit more. I don't know. Here's the thing. Obviously, so if we do look at it this way. I knew you'd unpack it for me. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's like, unpack it more. No, 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 you're incapable of unpacking <laughs> yeah. it. I got it. I'll do the talking for you. I wasn't you, thinking right? that. I was just letting you run in the direction. Well, you of course. So when you think about trust, the Haslam's had to look Deshaun Watson in the face. Mm -hmm. They had their investigators according to what they've said, right? Yeah. Haslam's are the owners of the Cleveland Browns. For the most part, and I met a lot of people like this. I mean, I'm definitely wary of people when I first meet them, but not in a way like, oh, I don't trust anybody. It's more of, all right, man, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt until you give me a reason not to. And most people will give you a reason not to that are untrustworthy. They can do that pretty quick. Yeah, so in this situation, that is, that's a human to human thing. I know that the Haslam's, that they're using big data. That's how they brought in Stefanski. These other folks, they were running numbers and they were using data analytics and all this other kind of high tech stuff to try and say, look, they were running numbers and probabilities and all that other kind of stuff, which does work. It's not 100%, but it does work. So for them, seeing Deshaun Watson and seeing that he was becoming available and for all their other reasons, they're like, man, it just makes sense for them. So that it starts off as that technology certainly aids in the process, again, but it's transactional. But with all the stuff, the baggage that he was bringing into the organization with all the pending lawsuits, they had to go down in person. I think they took their whole crew, like five, seven people, all the big decision makers went down, sat down, met with them. They had investigators doing private investigation into everything else, but they needed trust. They couldn't just say like, well, cool, you know, the data is telling us this. So could that narrative that they had, that we need mm -hmm. Pro Bowl quarterback yeah. on this roster. We're going to like, maybe if we're leaning one way or the other, like we're already leaning one direction that we oh, want yeah. this guy. This yeah. guy's available. We can get him. We just have to send him a contract that he can't refuse. Right. Does that narrative then get in the way of maybe they didn't trust him? Like if you removed all that stuff, like they most certainly, yeah, it can absolutely do that. Right. Yeah. Because then you're getting into the whole thing with incentives. Mm. You're a football team. You're incentivized to win, to yeah. make money. And we're talking about the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. We do not have a strong track record. And of there's winning. fans. And you always hear this, right? If this president's elected, I'm moving. Well, they still yeah. live here, right? On both sides, right? Of course. It happened both times. Yeah. So there's fans of the Cleveland Browns that mm -hmm. are supposedly no longer fans anymore. And this happens, right? And then they got called out because there's already people on the team that have been convicted of whatever they did. Yeah. Or had, I don't know if they've been convicted, whatever it is. They've been in the media for doing some stuff that you shouldn't be doing. Right. So people are like, but this is a little different because mm -hmm. the money involved is like the stakes are higher. Sure. And it's the face of the franchise. It's the quarterback. That's right. pretty much what matters in the NFL today. Yeah. So you bring in this quarterback and he's kind of still going through it and he's going mm -hmm. having these questions and it's like not sounding the best, but I don't know, right? I'm not a lawyer. And if you're, I'm not if a you're wondering if it was a gamble, of course. You yeah. Know, you can do all the due diligence in the world, but there could be things on earth later on right. that are like, oh, bad idea. Yeah. And you know who's laughing? Baker Mayfield, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just interesting because you brought up trust in it. I mean, trust is the real currency, no matter what it is. Yeah. If I'm going to, even if I'm going to hire you to perform a service or you're going to sell me an insurance policy, I have to trust that you have my best interest in mind. And also trust the fact that, hey, this is good for you too, right? So yeah. So if you really break everything down, it's trust. If you don't have trust, and this is nothing new. It's the same idea when people say, hey, look, a man's word or a woman's word, but a human, a man's word is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. If you can't trust my word, then I have nothing. Yeah. Which you brought up before, brand. Mm -hmm. If your brand is destroyed because of things that have happened, yeah. 
what do you got? Right? You've broken trust with too many people. So your brand is not good anymore. Right. Yeah. But there's also ways around that too, right? You get into Google reviews and you start learning that people have gamed that because that's a way to build and, trust. And can, yeah. Technology is a game. Yeah. For sure. Technology can be used for good, can be used for bad. But again, we have to understand technology is a tool. That's why it is used. Mm. Trust can't be used. Trust is earned. Trust yeah. is given. Wow. Trust is that space between us that's yeah. like, if that's not there, nothing else happens. Yeah. Or it's that you make a calculator risk to say, hey, look, I'm just signing up for a one-month free trial. I don't trust this company at all, but I want to see if this tool or whatever. Like Again, that's all transactional. Trust doesn't... Yeah. You know, you don't need to do that. But if you're looking at something that actually sticks, that lasts long-term, yeah, if you don't have trust, man, you got nothing. Yeah, this podcast is full of trust. I mean, the amount of times you use the word trust, like I feel like trust is gonna... SEO, baby. SEO. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Yeah. You've earned it. You've earned it. I mean, you've come back in here and I would say that having those tough conversations when you're thinking about like paths to go down, to have people... Like we're going back to that, to have that ability to help someone with that. Are you trying to praise me right no, now? No, yeah, yeah. I, I trust am. that you were going to do a I good am, job. I am, but it's not about, it's not about <laughs> praise. It's more like, as I've been, you trying to get into like real life examples. Mm-hmm. But I'll have a conversation with someone, maybe it's someone new or someone I haven't talked to or whatever. And we'll talk about something. And ultimately I can pull back on something I've written or a mm-hmm. podcast that I've had another podcast that we've helped produce or something that I know about, maybe it's yeah. a book that I read and I can send it to that person. Not asking for anything, just saying, sure. we talked about this, I thought this would interest you or you asked about this and here it is. And I think that is, it could be like your own thing that you created and it's relevant years later. I, mean, mm-hmm. I just did this yesterday. Yeah. Because all the things that this woman was talking about related to these four things, some were articles, some were podcasts and she wanted them. And I gave it to her. Yeah. And she can never call me back again. It doesn't matter. It's not the point. Mm-hmm. But you had said that earlier. It's like you might have a conversation with someone and now you can share something that you've already created. You don't have to go recreate it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe eventually there's a robot out there that can be like, okay, now go send this email to this person. There right? it is. Yeah. yeah. But you know, yeah, exactly. that's not for this episode. <laughs> it's not. But yeah. But again, human intention, right? So you take your human intention. Do you want to get that? I don't. I'm sorry. That's a spam call. <laughs> I know. So there's a robot behind there. Exactly. Me. Exactly. And normally I'm on do not disturb at this hour, but I'm very sorry. I apologize. Continue. That's right. So you cannot trust your phone to do what it is yeah, told. It's true. You said, I put true. this on do not disturb. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It still takes human intention to send something, right? Even yeah. if you're programming a robot to send something, you know, you have to do that. But if somebody that you've had a connection with a conversation with and you know that they would value it i mean that's pretty elementary you know Mm -hmm. it's like look cool i do this send this over to you those are the kinds of things that make a real impression right technology is designed specifically for the short-term attention span so the game is how can we capture attention in 1.25 seconds and hold it but human beings don't connect that fast our attention can be drawn in one way or another that fast yeah you know, maybe a good question is how can we utilize the tools that we have at our disposal to create the space for building trust? And, I, and by building trust, I'm not talking about just the, hey, let's build trust because I did some good things for you. But I listen to certain podcasts right. and I trust, and as we've talked about before on mm-hmm. this show here, I trust that these folks are going to ask the kinds of questions that I would ask. So yeah. I know that I'm going to be interested in it. Yeah. Well, yeah. how perfect would it be if someone's considering working with you that they would listen to a conversation like this to say, he's completely full of it. I won't work with that guy. Or 
That person's got great insight. Or whatever. I want to have a conversation (laughs) with that person. Yeah, definitely. I mean, how perfect is that to utilize the tools from microphones to audio recording to audio mastering? It sounds so good. Yeah, it really does. Right? Right. Real quick question here. What is your dad's name? My dad's name. Yes. Is Jerry. Jerry. Yes. Jerry, if you're listening, which I trust that you will, I would absolutely love to grab a beer with you too. All right, continue on. Yeah, yeah. That was good. Nice drop. Yeah. So, yeah. No, it's good. It's a good podcast. This is a great podcast. It's the greatest (laughs) podcast ever. I have noticed going back and listening through some of these things you'll send me because your editor, he does a great job. Throws in music midway through, which I really appreciate. You know, like right now, I'm going to speak in a cadence. Like if you threw a really good early 90s jazzy hip hop East Coast beat to this, then this would really sound good. This would sound great. This would sound really good. This would sound great. So that was for your editor. Yeah. Yeah. You have some fun with that. I did because I've got the tempo in my head and everything else. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's good East Coast, huh? Yeah, no West sure. Coast. You mentioned that before. It's a problem for you. Yeah, Super Bowl that wasn't your thing. No, man. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was glad the Bengals were there, even though I don't really care for the Bengals. Yeah, Ohio. Yeah, good state. It is a good, good state. People. Ohio yeah. is a great state. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you know, that's where my kin come from. Yeah. Although now it looks like Charlotte is becoming a Nichols hub. So my mom and dad live here. My sister lives here. And then my cousin, who is retiring after 30 years in the FBI, he and his wife are moving here. From Ohio? No, they're coming from Seattle. Okay. He was out there. Seattle's crazy, I heard, right now. Yeah, man. Do you like Seattle? Seattle's a cool city. I mean, not all the craziness. Yeah. I mean, wait, you want to talk about that with Chaz and all these crazy anarchist communities that have popped up since COVID and everything else. Yeah, it's just ridiculous, man. Yeah. Seattle, though, as a city is gorgeous. I mean, Washington State is beautiful. Yeah. The music that meant the most to me in seventh, eighth grade on up and then getting into playing guitar came out of Seattle. Mm. Yeah. I may have told you this. I was in Seattle maybe three years ago, three and a half years ago for a meeting. And I hadn't been to Seattle since I was a kid because our first army station when I was little was at Fort Lewis, now called Joint Base Lewis-McCord, but it was Fort Lewis at the time. And there was this little market it's in Seattle. If anybody's been to Seattle, it's famous. It's the something street market. It's a fish market. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I do. Yeah, so we went there. Yeah. And I still have the stuffed animal I've given to my kids that my mom and dad bought me from that place. Like, so there was a lot of, but that was a different time, a different city, you yeah. know, right? Yeah. There's, you know, lots of serial killers coming out of there at that time. <laughs> <laughs> so going back there now, three years ago, one, it was cool because I hadn't been there since I was a kid. Number two, the music that came out of Seattle still to this day, I think is some of the best that's ever been created. It just had such a sense of place in that music. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's sad, you know, yeah. because of the heroin and everything else. But man, what an amazing cultural, I don't know, just this, it's an asset. It's interesting how it comes from a place. It's like you go back to Detroit, right? Yeah. At a certain time and you go to these certain cities where like the music came from it, right? right and it's yeah. like it all came from there. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, I mean, I guess Detroit was a big city and Seattle's a big city, but yeah. there's something that happened there. Is that yeah. like a cultural yeah, change a and everyone got, it's like, oh, right. we're all in. This is, I guess, because you're surrounded by it. It's like Silicon Valley, no different than everyone goes to Austin, Texas. Sure. And it's like the vibe is just there and you just want to be a part of that. And that's. No, absolutely. Well, when I went there about three years ago, I was walking around the city because any city I go to visit, I love to, if I'm staying downtown, I just want to yeah. go walk the city. Yeah. So I go walking. And I'm listening, of course, to uh, Soundgarden, listening to a bunch of other stuff that I used to listen to all the time. Alice in Chains, 
And I couldn't listen to it for very long because as I'm walking around the city of Seattle, I'm realizing this music doesn't match what Seattle's become. Mm. Seattle's become very, it's not this depressed working class place. It's, you know, the home of Amazon. It's become a tech hub. It's cleaner. It's newer. It's all this other stuff. I think this is a gorgeous city. This music doesn't match the city as it is today. So it's a moment in time that represented a group of people in that place, just like you're talking about with Detroit. And now I remember we talked about this about Charlotte, probably in our first podcast, because we were talking about Charlotte becoming the next Austin, or what is this place here? And Mm -hmm. Charlotte's trying to figure out what it's going to be. It doesn't really have a, as far as I know, it doesn't have one of those major cultural movements that secure it in the annals of time of like, oh yeah, Charlotte, right? Like. New York, you know, New York has multiple iterations of that. Detroit, obviously, Motown, right, mm-hmm. for music, and then the auto industry, Seattle, serial killers. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. No, grunge right. music, you know, right. that whole scene. So what does Charlotte have? Yeah. And I can't think of anything. Bojangles, but, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> right, but I look at that and I say, that means that there's opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, crazy yeah it's crazy we were just i don't know what it was this weekend south end they have i don't know i'll link to it this just started and they're like five times in a row they're going to different parts of town and they go outside and it's you go down there and it's fun and it's like but you go there and you're like okay this is nuts Mm -hmm. it's like every time you see it and you turn around there's more people yeah so it's it's not a bad thing like you're saying it can be frustrating at times the traffic and parking and waiting in lines but it like also opens up for like you just said opportunity yeah. Some people are thinking about the future and their vision. And oh, like, you want to take the city to be in. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, maybe it's good. Maybe it's not. Like, what are the reasons for that? What are the reasons not for it? So? Well, full disclosure, I, the statement I'm about to make is not based on any kind of work or interactions that I've had with real decision makers on city future planning. I've seen the plans as they've come out. A lot of the big questions, at least early on, were, hey, how does Charlotte become the next Silicon Valley? And other cities have asked that question too. And that's a terrible question. But it's an understandable question. It is. So it goes back a lot. Yeah. 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 So this is a good example of what we were talking about earlier. We have knowledge of the past. So we see success and technology out in Silicon Valley. We have the present day and we see that Silicon Valley is not, you know, like people are leaving and things are changing and there's more opportunity because technology has become more affordable. Everything like the infrastructure is, is much more accessible than it used to be. So the questions are, well, how do we become that? And that's the wrong question to ask, right? Because what that is, is a reaction to success in the past. Well, if we can just recreate that, your vision is limited. It's limited to the past. Yeah. So that's why it's important to stand in the future first, get a good three-dimensional picture of what it might look like based on the things that we see happening today. And then asking ourselves tougher questions about how what we see happening today could impact multiple facets of society. Now we can create a three-dimensional picture. And when you have that, then you create that space to not only see where things could potentially go, but more importantly, you have the opportunity now to influence it in a certain direction that you'd like it to go. That's the opportunity Charlotte has. But if they're just looking at, well, how can we do the things that we know are successful in the past? It's not a very inspiring vision. And a lot of times I'm seeing a lot of future visions that are about five years out. And I'm like, guys, that's way too short. I'm not saying Charlotte's is that way. I haven't, you know, I can't remember what their date projections are. It's a 2040 plan. Okay. So look at that. Yeah. We should go through that. We should read that. You should read that. That's yeah. Great. yeah. I glanced it, I, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We got to spend more time with it. But there was a lot of, we have to build certain things. Mm-hmm. 
those things are going to be built. Like, let's call it low-income housing. What's, right, yeah. Yeah. Not in my backyard. Sure. So yeah. you want it, but you don't want it. Yeah. So there's that. That's mm-hmm. part of it. There's the potential for, for, I don't know if this is in the plan. I don't think it might be, might not. Football stadium. They want to host the Super Bowl here. They want championship games here. They wanted the Final Four here again. Well, you need a place to put all those people in yeah. an enclosed with a dome on it, right? Yeah. The whole thing. That's going to cost billions of dollars. The Bills, right. Buffalo Bills are building a stadium. $1.4 billion out in Orchard Park, New York. It's like yeah. a 30 minute drive from Buffalo. And the 850 million. Let's is, be clear. The bills are not building that stadium. The taxpayers are. The taxpayers are. 800, yeah. The New York state taxpayers, which someone in like Poughkeepsie could care less about the totally. bills for the most part. Maybe there's someone there. Yeah. Shout out to that person. But <laughs> but $850 million is coming from the government. Now they say they're going to pay it back and there's all these things. Yeah, you yeah. Know, well, it's so, all the economic incentives. Like, look how it's going to grow. But yeah, I yeah, get yeah. all that. That's how the yeah. system works. But will it actually play itself out? Who knows? But that's in Charlotte. They want that. You know, he's sure. like, we're going to build a stadium. Tepper said that. Yeah. He's like, but I'm not building it alone. I'm not, you know. Of course not. Yeah. Nobody builds alone. Yeah. Yeah. Every football franchise. Yeah. Is like, so like, those are some of the topics. Yeah. And there's more, you know, like I just read that Phillips Place, which is like on Fairview Road, which mm-hmm. is the Main Street in South Park in the city of Charlotte. And it's a nice little niche place. You go shopping, get some eating done. There's a restoration hardware there. They have a movie theater there. They right. want to turn that movie theater into an office tower. Because like, we want to be like Ballantine. You're like, why would you want to be like Ballantine? Like Ballantine's Ballantine. Right. Don't compete with that. I get it. Yeah. They want more upgraded office space. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Well, there's office space. So just upgrade the office space you already have. Don't make it the highest building in South Park where it's lined with trees and it's beautiful and all that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, now you're going to create an eyesore in the middle of South Park. Like, is that the vision or is that just someone's willing to write you a check and bring right. more money in with rent? and taxes and all that kind of stuff. Like that to me is losing the vision. I get it. You need better office space there because you still want people to come and live and work and play right in your town. Uh But do you want it to where we just created this eyesore? Yeah. And it's just like, uh, it doesn't fit. Yeah. That's not what this is. Right. Yeah. Well, most vision plans, and again, I'm not specifically picking on Charlotte. That should be something. Not only do we look at that, but we try and get some of those folks that have been involved in that down there. We have a long conversation with them. Yeah, you know, I see this a lot. And again, it's not because people are ill intent. It's because they don't know that there's a process. There's a tool set that can allow you to do this a lot better, right? So that's why it's funny, you know, when people say, well, what is a futurist? Well, most of them are keynote speakers. But if you have somebody who's actually trained in the skills to help people envision how the future may unfold in multiple possible situations, then, you know, the whole three-dimensional picture, then you have something to work with. Because a lot of these visions are whack-a-mole. It's like we're trying to solve yesterday's problems with some of the fresh twist on it today. And, you know, it's just we're putting a bunch of these different things here. But the thing that really makes a vision for the future compelling is if you can present something to me that I can envision myself in. If you can't do that, then I'm like, oh, great. You've got a checklist of things that you want to upgrade or that you want to develop or you want to bring in a football stadium or whatnot. But you haven't really answered the question, why? Mm. Why is this going to improve my life? How is this going to create something that is unique to this particular location that's not only going to draw in more businesses? Drawing in business is easy. You can do that through tax incentives and everything else and developer incentives to now you say, look, we're one of the fastest growing cities, even if nobody's occupying those buildings. Not that's happening in Charlotte. Charlotte is blowing up. But there's all these, just like with Google reviews, you can game the growth system. You can yeah. do that. So it looks yeah. good on paper. Yeah. But if you're serious about trying to create the environment, that really lets Charlotte take on a life of its own, you have to envision how the future is going to unfold, not by trying to solve yesterday's problems, 
but by looking at, okay, how are the things that we see here today going to impact the people we serve? So it always comes back to that. Yeah. People are coming anyway, and you kind of reference that. They're coming to Charlotte or in some of these other cities. Yeah. They're going to come. They want to get out of New York. They want to get up Ohio, California, whatever. Mm -hmm. For whatever those reasons are, they're all great places, but they got their issues, right? No different than Charlotte's got their issues. But so it's like, okay, that's the thing. Yeah. Thing is, you go to a place like that. Okay. It used to be like, you live in Charlotte, North Carolina? Why? Where is that? Like, why would you do that? And it's like, this place is amazing. Okay. So people are going to come no matter what. So it's like, to your point, what are they coming to? They're coming to something that they like right away. And then the thing's going to change. Like, oh my God. And I get it. People coming from Houston and LA or like Atlanta, they're like, you think this is traffic? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is like a walk in the park. Do you realize it took me an hour to get to the Publix that was a half a mile away from me when I lived in Atlanta? I didn't live in Atlanta, but that's what people are saying, right? I get that. But when they're not coming from those places, what is it that they're coming to? And what's the city? How intentional are they doing this? Because like, it's so easy right now to build something and they will come. Can't get reservations. You can't rent space. There's all these different types of things going on. You can't park anywhere. And then it goes into the habits because the habit is, if you're from LA, you get it. Like the habit is, I got to get up. I got to go a little bit earlier because it's going to take me an hour to get wherever I'm trying to go. Okay. Well, that habit doesn't exist here. I see people complaining. You go to some of these Reddit threads mm-hmm. when they go to South End and South End's a lot of stuff's happening in South End. A lot of great restaurants. Like that example I gave yeah. you on this weekend, it was like a lot of fun. But it's like, you're going to sit in traffic for a little bit mm-hmm. at a time that you're not used to it. And chances are, you're either going to have to fight for parking, which right. is totally stressful where you have to pay for parking and the payment for parking right now is not much. You probably pay $5, maybe $10, $4, whatever it is. But that is not something people are used to. Like, I don't want to pay for parking. Mm -hmm. Like in DC, you might pay $25 to park in the Georgetown area or $50. It's probably ridiculous right now, but that's assumed that that's just the way it is, but they don't have that in Charlotte. So that's a problem. Say, great. You can create all this stuff. There's a development going on. I think it's in South End. And they're not going to have parking there. The point is like, they're going to have other means of transportation. You're going to live and work right there Mm -hmm. and you won't need your car. Yeah. I don't buy it. Yeah. People are going to drive their car. And I get, there's going to be some people that are going to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. You got to park your car somewhere or I don't know. Like, it just doesn't seem like maybe it'll fit a niche and that's cool. But it's like, that habit has to change. Yeah. Well, in order for that to work, the city has to become extremely walkable. Right. Now downtown or uptown, excuse me, is much more walkable than say where we are right now. Right. There's some sidewalks. You could run over if you try to cross that street right now. Absolutely. Yeah. You would. I might, my window, you look out and there's like within probably every two hours, ambulance, fire truck, accidents. Is this still the busiest intersection in North Carolina? Oh, is it? I didn't know it was. Well, you were the one that told me that. I did not say that. I'm probably misinterpreting. Dropping facts. Like I just, yeah, I don't think that's the case. It's not that busy. I mean, it's, it's busy. It's busy. It's, it's one not like that extreme that there's some crazy spots. You're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm at this intersection. What am I yeah. doing? But yeah, to your point, like you have to be able to maneuver out. Now, South End can create that, but it's like, Man, it's an attraction a for yeah. people that let's say they live in Matthews and they want to go to South End for the well, day. Let me explain what I mean by walkability, like extreme walkability. I think of DC, mm-hmm. Chicago, mm-hmm. things that have been mapped out in an intelligent way on yeah. a grid. Yeah. Most North Carolina cities, have not. <laughs> no. I mean, you drive around the city for two minutes and you realize the streets were never designed for this. No, they Sharon weren't. Sharon Road changes names. Like, exactly. Right? I've never <laughs> seen that happen anywhere else but yeah. North Carolina. When yeah. we used to live in Raleigh, it was the same problem. Sardis Road, then there's an intersection. Like, how did I get here? Yeah. yeah. Or your maps would tell you, you know, slight left onto such and such road and you're still Queens going and straight. Queens, Kings and Kings. And, it yeah, it yeah, makes no sense. Province or whatever right? it is. Yeah. 
and the Piedmont is really bad. So you'd try to go to Greensboro, Winston-Salem. If you're in Atlanta or you're in DC or anywhere else and you get off of an exit and you exit right, you know that if you get off that exit and then travel around, eventually all I got to do is keep turning left. Yeah, yeah. And you're going to get York back to the city. This. You know the numbers. Yeah, and a couple it's pretty of basic. Yeah. Hey, I exited right. If I want to get back towards the interstate, I got to keep going left. Right. Not in the Piedmont. Yeah. Uh-uh. No, yeah. you may end up having to go right. Right. Why? Because it takes you on this crazy, illogical route. Right. And then you have to, oh, yeah, it's insanity. So that's a problem. Walkability requires logic, right? Yeah. But that also takes a lot of like pre-planning, like exactly. years, like it's sometimes you can't go backwards, Mr. Totally. Futurist, right? So like, how yeah. do you... Well, that's my point. But they're taking over the like South End, like if you would have seen South End 15 years ago, 25 years ago, you've been like, no, Plaza Midwood, stuff's happening there. Oh, it's yeah. taking time though, but there was just, I think there was a shooting there yep. recently. Yeah. So these are the things that they're going through and you keep saying intentionality, like what do you want it to become? Because that's what's really cool is to have that opportunity to shape what it will become. Right. Because you go to some neighborhoods now, so buildings happening, right? So you go to these neighborhoods, like not calling them iconic neighborhoods, but well-known neighborhoods in Charlotte. And it's like, they're tearing down these older homes. Okay, totally get it. They're building homes. And it's like any developer can come in and build a home and one home looks like it's from New Mexico. The next home's from California. The next home's from Charlotte. One's from Charleston. I mean, it's like, it's a hodgepodge. It's like downtown Matthews. You totally ruined the vibe. Yeah. In downtown Matthews, you have some of these old homes. It's like, whoa, some of those look like they should be condemned. Yeah. And then right next to that, you've got these homes. uh, There's a lot of them that have been built in Noda. They're nice. I mean, I like it. It's just a much newer, cleaner. It looks like it's from the mountains. Yeah. Right. It's got that that Asheville kind of feel to it. Yeah. There's several of those, but only like one street has maybe seven on them. It looks at a place. Exactly. A lot of neighborhoods, like, okay, this fits that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Now you go to a place, it's like, this is like 17 neighborhoods rolled into one. And I don't know what's going to happen. Well, is a great example of that. Yeah. It is. I mean, Nota's a great place. Yeah. But it's a good example of just a mix of old homes, newer styles. Some cities, like, you can't do that. Right. Can't build. Everything's got to be brick. Everything's got to be this height, right? Zoning. Right. Yeah. Right. Why did they let that happen in some of these other areas? I'm just curious. Like maybe they, didn't have, they didn't have any control <laughs> over that. Like I guess in a neighborhood, that would be the HOA would say, if anytime you want to build a home, we can say no to it because we don't like the design. But they're obviously right. not saying that. Yeah. Yeah. We're wading into territory we're not as familiar with. We're good That's observers. Fine. We can still talk about oh, it. Of course, yeah. man. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, yeah. Say, look, I'm not oh, this is not this. an expert of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's just yeah, great. You're an expert of the future, but, you know, anyway. Well, thank you, but yeah. I'm not. Because yeah. like I said before. I know you didn't. I know you didn't. Yeah. So. No, yeah, this is good. This, this is, is really good. good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm walking away feeling way more valuable today. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> feel appreciated. Oh, yeah. Big yeah. time. Yeah. Definitely. It's good. Yeah. What I'm really hoping is that your editor just takes a few clips of you praising me, puts a really good beat to it, and then just runs a loop of that, <laughs> you know, at some point during the show. And then you put it on TikTok. No, no. I just listen that to it in the house. you could actually create as an NFT, put a smart contract. So anyone who owns that thing of you being complimented and praised and all that, mm-hmm. that's what they get access to. So they buy the NFT of that, they own it, so they can watch and do whatever they want with it, but they get the right to spend an hour with you Every month, I don't know, something like that. No, no seriously, it's you know, like we got to go ahead contract. and develop that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, with no intention that it's going to be. Oh, no. But you never know, man. No, Somebody might know. think, you know what? Man. Those guys, Eric and Jerry. What if you blow up? Like, you never know. Oh, no, I'm going to blow up. Yeah, big okay. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look at this You beard. and Charlotte. Yeah, me and Charlotte. Me yeah. and the city of Charlotte. Yeah. That's the name of this podcast now. Yeah. It's like, 
just me and Charlotte. Should be Charlotte. There's so many people here. We just passed Orlando at something. You're really keeping up and up with like the, yeah, with the growth it. game. I like talking about the cities. Yeah. That's yeah, interesting. Well, now that you're in Uptown. Metropolitan, I'm not in Uptown, but like the Metro, Charlotte, Gastonia, Concord is just past Orlando. Yeah. And who's next? <laughs> Man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Orlando's crazy too. I was just there and they're building. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and neither do the people Disney listening to this World. show. Oh, Disney World's in some hot water, aren't <laughs> yeah, they? Done. Yeah, Human trafficking? Like, well, oh, you want to go down that road? I don't. Human trafficking in Orlando? Oh, yeah. There was like seven people. Man, all right, let's in look this Disney. up. Disney employees just got, let's see here. I'm going to do this for all the people listening. Most play music while you're looking. Yeah, definitely. Like some good elevator music with a sweet beat. I'm just typing in Disney human trafficking. Boom. It's already, it's already suggestion. Ow. Disney employees and former judge among 108 arrested in human trafficking. March 17th, 2020 from CBS News. That's Four Disney that. employees arrested in Florida human trafficking and child predators thing. Wow. Oh boy, buddy. Now, you know, again, you'd have to dig into that headline because yeah, they might that be mean? thinking, it's like, oh, is Disney a human trafficking ring? And now all of a sudden right. you got a QAnon conspiracy like Pizzagate. Really know. what could just be is you had some pedophiles, some sickos working at Disney. They just happen to be employed there, but they're involved in a trafficking ring offsite, mm. right? But that's why you have to dig in deeper. Yeah. Otherwise, rumors start flying. Yeah. Nobody goes to Disney. Yeah, yeah. All because of this podcast. All because you, of this podcast. Yeah, and then no, Disney because lawyers CBS are after News. you. Yeah, definitely. Ooh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I said it's CBS News. <laughs> Come and get me. <laughs> they will. Come and get me, CBS. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. So is that it? We're done? That's it. All, All right. right. That's good, good to see you, man. We should keep on doing this. Okay, we will. All right. All right, man. That sounds good. CASDM is our content production company. Why content? It's simple. Content brings people together. I've seen it play out over and over, and I want to help others explore and discover this for themselves. The experience is totally worth it. Learn more at CASDM.com. We focus on podcasts and writing, one piece of content at a time. It all starts with conversations just like this one.